Hey everybody, it's Brennan, and uh, Patrick and I want to announce something very, very exciting before we get into today's episode. We would like to share with you Deadhead Review's very first Horror in Hollywood short story competition. Patrick here. It is theme-based, the horror in Hollywood. Horror stories set in and around the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. Your story can take place at any period of Hollywood history, from the beginning days of silent black and white movies to the modern era of big Hollywood blockbusters. Be creative. Cross-genre is welcome. As far as the rules are concerned, we are looking for a maximum word count of 4,000 words, and we would like you to know that we are interested in standalone prose fiction stories. No TV, movie, play script treatments, or novel or novella extracts will be accepted. Brennan and I will be on the panel of judges alongside L. Turpit, Rich Gerlach, Cassie Daly, S.H. Cooper, and possibly more. The contest is open starting on September 15th, and it's going to run all the way to September 30th. More contact information for that can be found on the Deadhead site, which I'll give in just a minute. As far as prizes go, there's a lot of good stuff in store, including promotional packages, editing services, and you could even be a guest on this very show that you're about to listen to. For more information, go to deadheadreviews.com. to Dead Headspace, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major platforms, which now includes Ghana, India's largest streaming commercial service. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello. And today we're joined by a fellow podcaster, and some of you may not know this, a writer, he uh, runs and co- he hosts the uh, podcast, does the dog die in this. Glenn Parker, how are you, sir? Very good, thank you, guys. Do you and Zach Ashford get mixed up by other people, or is it just me and Brandon that mix you two up? Uh, I think it's just you two, but I did speak with um, Zach and Max Booth on Max's podcast, so maybe that kind of like set the tone for who's who, like everyone thought. My thought were the same people, but now where I'm, we're definitely separated there. I'm the koala expert between the two, so just don't talk to me about koala testicles or um, STDs, and you're probably good to go. He's, he seems knowledgeable on everything else, but yeah, just leave those matters to me. Don't talk about STDs, gotcha. I will know that. That, uh, for- that episode that you had, I think it was yours with Max Booth, was extremely informative. Uh, relating to koalas i had learned so much about uh those animals that i did not know before so yeah i'll defer to you as the premier expert on koalas oh i'll take that crown did you did you want to know any of that stuff such as chlamydia riddled koalas and so forth 
I already have no plans to go to Australia. It's far too scary for me. So, I mean, <laughs> it's it, it's it's cool as a factoid, but uh, yeah, uh, even without, you know, the furry, cuddly looking bears being giant, you know, sex riddled death machines, uh, I'm good. Well, I think it's like it's just so polarizing. So you have to like tell people because everyone just thinks they're like cute and fluffy. And, you know, like they, I don't know if you guys ever watch Blinky Bill, but everyone thinks they're all like yeah really cool and it's like well actually did you know this and it's always just fun to watch people's jaws just drop be like what the fuck so it's kind of cool to like shatter that illusion because you know they're like oh at least something's cute and cuddly in australia but even then it is deadly what is that no it's all bad (laughs) well there's one really cute one what is that i think it starts with a q what's that one animal that looks like it's constantly smiling it's like a furry little i think it's a marsupial the quokka Yep, that's it. I saw a picture with Thor recently taking a quokka picture. Quokka. Did I say that? I said that wrong, didn't I? Quokka? <laughs> he took a quok pic? A, a what? A quok pic. Oh, yes. He took a quok pic. <laughs> so, Glenn, segue into what got you into horror? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to linger on those pics too long. Nope. All right, so basically for me, where it all began was, um, as you guys might have seen the other day, the what I consider the greatest horror novel ever written, Turn 35, and that is It. Um, I put up a post telling people why that, that book and the exact copy that I took a photo of was so important to me. Because when we were little, we moved around so much due to Dad's business. Like literally like once every two years, we'd pack up and move to the next city or state. So I never really made many friends, and I really, really hated it. And all I really wanted was some pals. Like, I know that sounds sad or whatever, but I just wanted some friends. And long story short, my grandfather passed away when I was six or so, and our grandmother came to live with us. And she quickly became my best friend. Like, we had an amazing bond. It was just a really, really special thing to experience. And we would go around in every new town or state we moved to and explore their bookstores, thrift stores, libraries, all that kind of stuff. And she would buy Goosebumps and other books that I wasn't really allowed to read, so she would um, sneak them at the bottom of her library bag or handbag. And in return for watching Agatha Christie TV shows with her, she would give me the books that I wasn't supposed to have. So we had this little little secret cult going on in a way. Um, and by the way, I loved watching those things with her. There wasn't really any bribery there. It was just fun. But when we finally settled in town, she joined a bowls club, and one day they had this huge book club sale, and she comes home with this book by a new author. You've probably guessed what that book is by now. It was it. I was around 10 or so by now, and she thought I was ready for some bigger and scarier books. And without sounding lame, it was automatically special to me because it was the first adult book that my grandmother had ever gotten me, but that was also the last. She passed away over a month or so later. And it absolutely destroyed me. Like I just lost my best friend. And when I turned, and sorry, and when I did, I turned to it to read in her memory. I also happened by doing that to find my new best friends, which was the Losers Club. I can't <laughs> explain. I can't explain what it was, but reading that book took me away long enough to have fun, to be amazed at how real and lived in that Derry felt, to be scared of something other than the idea of mortality, and how soon enough my parents would be in the same place my grandparents were. And how one day I'll be there as well. So it showed me that terrible things can happen, but it's not the end of the world if you fight back. The writing was unlike anything I'd ever read. The scare factor was on steroids compared to Goosebumps. And it was the first book that ever took me someplace else while reading it. And it also makes me think of the best times that I ever had with the most important person in my life. And that was my grandmother. So that's kind of what started my love for it. 
um, was that my love for her. And it was, it was crazy to experience to be so shattered and so excited. Like it was this weird amalgamation of like finding something brand new and exciting, but also dealing with my first interaction with, you know, mortality and, and losing someone close to me. Like the concept of death was basically a, a very foreign stranger at that point until it kind of, you know, invaded my, my home and my headspace. So losing her and finding it at the same time was kind of like a, a crossroads that like shaped a lot of me of who I am now and how I become the way I was and how I ended up loving horror. So it all ties back to my grandma. Um, the further I involve myself in the scene, the closer I feel to her in the sense that like, you know, she's, it's weird how she set me on this path. And, you know, I feel like once I get my writing out there and, you know, can call myself a writer that it's, I've almost completed that full circle of, you know, that connection with her. Like it'll just bring me that one step closer to, you know, almost sitting back and saying, you know, I did it like for what she would have wanted for me. Like all this stemmed from a woman in my life, basically sneaking books into my room and letting me enjoy the things that I loved and supporting me to um do that. Cause no matter what I did, my grandma supported me. Like I went through that goth punk emo stage. I used to have like every lip ring imaginable eyebrow rings, nose rings, purple, green, yellow, blue hair, like multicolored hair, mohawks, I'd wear all black. And, you know, even when my grandma got put into a nursing home, I'd, I'd go away with music. I was a traveling musician and I'd made sure I'd be back every week to go visit my grandma and I'd read her books. And, you know, it's, I'd go into the nursing home and the old, old ladies would like look at me like, you know, who's this guy? And like my grandma would be like so proud. Like she'd like stand up in a lunchroom, like that's my grandson. Like that's, that's him. Like she didn't give a shit what I looked like <laughs> when I thought like I was her favorite person. And, um, you know, the, her last words when she passed like on her deathbed, like literally, and I make sure my siblings remember this all the time. She whispered into my ear that I was her favorite person. And, um, that absolutely blew me away. And that's, that's something that I'll never forget. But, no matter how extreme I went to be different or find myself, my grandma was always there, like clapping me on, on the back and encouraging me to um, make sure that I st- stay true to um, the person I want to be. So, you know, I've got her to thank for where I sit today. That's a beautiful story, man. And I, yeah, I, you know, I, I wish I could meet her. She sounds like such a cool lady, man. That's such a cool answer. It's such an interesting answer. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you later on, although now seems kind of like a good time for it, you've talked about how um, kind of the grief side of horror is your big go-to. It's it's what you're very interested in reading and um, even very interested in writing. Would you say those two definitely tie together? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's what sorry go ahead. Yeah. no no go ahead i was just gonna say i think that because that was such an emotional intro to me and i think while i was reading it i was kind of like happy and scared and sad at the same time it was like a big mix of emotion it kind of tied my love for the genre to that grief aspect and because like, it's such a powerful emotion like it was losing you know the closest woman in my life and finding something that i love at the same time so i feel like that kind of heart that went into it merged my you know kind of created my taste further down the track for what i want to write and for what i wanted to to read so it definitely all stems from the same place for sure so i mean with it being upwards of 11 1200 pages is that uh something you revisit fairly often or every once in a while 
Yes, I've read it twice, once or twice per year since I was probably 12 years old. Definitely an every year thing. Sometimes, most years, it's more than once. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I got to say. That's impressive as hell. Yeah. Have you picked up anything? Uh, the more you read it, are you noticing more layers that you didn't notice before? Well, that's what I love about it. It's there's so many, so much happens. Like I was actually talking to someone about it the other day, and they were like, "Oh, I don't know about this." Like they hadn't read it. They're only coming to the game late. And they're like, oh, there's so much random stuff he talks about at the start. I'm like, well, you know, it's a 1,200-ish page book. Like, it's, it's going you know, to tie in at some point, but there has to be setting up of things that can come back later. Otherwise, it'd be a very, very boring story. So those, all those offshoots and all that stuff, when it comes back together, it's, um, you know, you, you definitely pick up something new every time. And I, f- I forget stuff too. Like, I'm, I'm probably the best kind of reader for rereading because I'll, re- I'll read an entire book and I'll remember stuff you know, like the major points, but I'll forget it. Like somebody will be like, oh, how about this? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, when did that happen? So like, I'll go back and read it again. And like now that part will stand out and I'll forget something else. So I don't know if it's really a good thing for my memory, but I seem to um, be able to reread stuff as though I've never read it before, which could be good or bad. Depending there, were three, how you look. there were three sections in it that I have not seen in either movie. They mentioned one in the remake that I wish that they did. The first one was the black club that got burnt down. Um, that would have been interesting to show that. I would have been curious. Uh, they showed a little bit of it in the remake, but it was more like a backstory. The second one was a shootout. I think that was a mural on a brick wall in the alleyway. Uh, yeah. There was That was it. I mean, come on. You got guys that are literally – there's a bunch of gunmen shooting each other down and you're seeing different people are seeing the clown like let's see that and then the third thing was um there was uh since derry was a lumber lumbering lumberjack i don't know what the proper term is a lumberjack town there was this one bar where lumberjackers would go and this one guy comes in just starts swinging his axe kills someone and I mean, like, why was that not in it? Like, that's this movie. Turn it up a notch. You got those three scenes right there. Yeah, there's also a fourth thing that didn't make it. Make it. <laughs> I noticed you didn't bring that up too. Yeah. <laughs> are we Are we thinking the uh, children in the tunnel towards the end? Yeah. 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 I don't think that's ever going to see the light of day in an adaptation. Call me wild, but uh, that's. You'd hope not. You'd hope not. You'd hope uh, not. There's, no, there's not really a tasteful way to do that. <laughs> nah, I don't. I wish you never added that. There could have been so many other ways to go about that fucking mess. That's the. It's, only- weird. it's weird to segue into what I'm about to say from what we're talking about, but I feel like the neat thing about it, to my mind, is, uh, you know, maybe it's kind of a nostalgia thing, but I feel like there's not really a lot of superfluous stuff in there. Like, there's a ton of backstory. There's, you know, you'll you'll read like a 150 page scene that's just setting up something to happen later and it seems like there should that it, it it seems like it could be extra but i just feel like everything in there ties together everything is necessary and it wouldn't be as special a book as uh, as it is if it was down even 100 pages 150 pages mm. yeah and it took like four years to write it yeah yeah no definitely agree with that like it's like you said, it's 
like when it's something that big, like it's gonna, you need to have all that kind of stuff. You know, like it's he's basically, I'd say it is where the whole main dairy thing kind of really stuck, like come alive and became real. Um, which then you obviously set up his his multi massive universe with all these books and everything. And I feel like that was the first, like, I mean, there, there was books prior to that set there, but I feel like that kind of was like set the tone that actually, like, without all that, like, how many people like love the idea of dairy and the town itself and like, you know, all the landmarks in it are so like prolific and stuff. Like, everyone thinks about them. Like, you know, if he if he doesn't set that stuff up, then you know, you don't get all that stuff. Like, that's what makes it feel like a real thing that's what you feel like you escape to dairy while you're reading that book like you know you feel like you live and breathe there which is i feel is a major part of the whole king universe oh absolutely absolutely the 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 dude brings life or breathes life into towns you know whether it be dairy or castle rock like no one else you know you can you can certainly make the argument that he's not the only uh you know, horror writer that you should be reading right now. And I'd back that a hundred percent, but there's a reason that, you know, everybody's going out to pick up his books still. <laughs> so are yeah, you guys, that's the, sorry, go. Yep. Are you guys saying that Derry's like, that's the main part of all this. That's like the main attraction. It's like the main set in stage of everything. I just feel like when people think of like King, they think of Derry Maine, like they think of, like things happening in Maine, like I feel like, I don't know, it could just be my bias, but I feel like that was something that really stood out for me from like, especially first getting into that stuff, but was that this place wasn't just like, oh yeah, it took place here and then things happen. It was like, you see the town, you explore the town and then 11, 22, 63 without spoilers, when they go back there and there's that little scene where they're in Derry again and you, you've like, he talks about the town and how it is like, it's still the same as when it was in it and you kind of feel like you know it's like the more things change the more they stay the same that whole type of thing like it just seemed like you were going back to somewhere not just like oh cool this took place in america where it took place it's like shit we're back in the same town with the same characters and like things have changed and things have moved but they're still there like you know you've got richie and beverly dancing in the park and it's just like you know that it just feels like it's still alive like it feels like an actual place like you know it's easy to forget that it's not it's actually you know like those landmarks exist because they are based in real things but Derry itself's not a real place hmm. and that that cameo if you want to call it a cameo could have felt so shoehorned in but it it, it didn't it had this kind of touch of almost beauty to it um, it really, I remember that really working for me and I've read that, the, I've read 11, 22, 63 a few times and that was a really cool part that didn't feel like it was just there to make people more interested in this newer book. Yeah, no, I thought it was done amazing. Like I think 11, 22, 63 is one of King's greatest books. Like the writing in it is amazing and like that little part in it, it's just, just something else that just adds to it, I guess, but that's just my opinion. No, no question. I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely back that. Uh, even if you're not a fan of a lot of the newer novels, and uh, what's that one like? 2011. I guess it's not that new, but um, that that's that's a winner. That's a successful book. You know, even if you're most of what you enjoy by him is 70s, 80s, and whatnot. You know, you mentioned that it is because of all the ties, you know, to your personal life, that it is kind of your introduction, I guess. And, you know, what got you into the grief side of horror. Um, 
so I'm wondering what are some other books that have really I mean it, it doesn't sound like there's there there might be anything else that hit you quite as hard and stuck on quite as much but what are some other books that you would put somewhere near that trajectory uh, for me it would be I'm a huge huge coming of age fan like it's that is my all time favorite genre so um, Summer of Night uh, Boys Life. Like those two, obviously they're another huge, huge scope type books. Like I don't know if you guys have read either of those um, by McKemmon and Dan Simmons. I've read Boy's Life and I have Summer of Night, but I just I haven't gotten around to it. And it's it's weird because I want to. I hear it's a good book. I'd like to eventually read it. But it's when he kind of came out and made it known that he was kind of a piece of crap. Um, it just, <laughs> it, it, it fell down my list a little bit. You know, I know I would probably enjoy it, but I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, you know, gearing myself towards, towards books when I, when I absolutely know for a fact, the author is a good human being. And, and Glenn, I'm sure, you know, from experience, just diving into the Twitter scene, the podcast scene, the Instagram scene that, uh, you know, you get to know a lot of these writers and they're just genuinely good people and you you want you want to buy their book all the more for that yeah definitely i think with me too um like with i, I spoke about this on my episode with laird baron about how i have this thing when i really like something i don't want to know what like it goes for music too i don't want to, i don't want to know what the musicians look like i don't want to know their names i don't know what i don't want to know what authors look like uh, i don't want to know anything about them like because i see it like books and music like that as like, you know, emotions. I think like I'm highly drawn to like things like that, like, you know, the whole grief thing and all that kind of stuff. Like if it's really like powerful music and stuff, I think about it as emotions in the airway, but I don't think of it as like humans that have created it. Um, as much as I like to promote, obviously the people that do it, it's, I can do that without knowing what they look like and, and whatnot. And that was a big thing with Dan Simmons. Like that's probably some of nights, the only book that's, that and Boys Life are the two books that have come the closest to it. And I think if you like it, you'll absolutely love Summer of Night. But again, I didn't know a great deal about Dan Simmons. I don't particularly care for him having known that, but I wouldn't let what that gave me in my younger years and my childhood and stuff change the opinion on the book. Like I can separate him from that knowing that he does suck and I haven't brought anything of his since then, but it won't change the way I, I look at that book. But um, I just feel like, and same, I said this to Laird Barron, like I didn't know about, we discussed the eye patch and the hearing issues and stuff that Laird has. And that was something I didn't know until not long before the podcast, because I just I'd always avoided knowing what he looked like. Because for some reason for me, when they when it becomes human, it kind of, I don't know, potentially, like, well, the exact reason what you said, there used to be this band that I absolutely loved. And I was a touring musician. We toured with them. And once I met them, they were kind of like assholes. And they weren't anywhere near as cool as like the music that they played, and I just it kind of like took a little bit away of the magic from the music. I didn't enjoy listening to them as much after that. So it was kind of a lesson for me to kind of just, you know, they that, like they say you never want to really meet your heroes, I suppose. And it was true to that extent in the music scene. So like for me, I kind of detach it. And same like Laurel, I Towers, Crossroads. I know Laurel. I've talked to Laurel, and you know I still absolutely love those books. It doesn't lose the magic at all there. But I think that's because I knew her prior to reading it. So had I known Dan Simmons, like, like you, like you haven't read it yet. 
you now have your opinion on him and you're like, it, it definitely went down. So I feel like for me, because I experienced all this long before any of this happened, it's still got that, that magical place in, um, you know, in my favorites. But had oh, I known yeah. prior, then it may, may have been different. Sorry, that went on yeah. a really long time. No, no, no. I, I, I can absolutely get behind that. And I mean, of course, you know, the, the, the whole cliche of don't meet your heroes, it's, it's only a cliche because it's got some truth behind <laughs> it. Um, and I can, I don't know, I, maybe it sounds judgy, but I, I can see that being extra true with uh, touring musicians as opposed to authors. Uh, I feel like authors as a rule, of course, with plenty of exceptions, but I feel like a lot of authors are very humble and, you know, we've talked about in the past reasons that could be, you know, maybe it's just because they have to get so used to rejection. But um, straying from the main point, you know, I, like I said, I, I have Summer of Night. I hear good things about it. I don't care for the author. But, you know, I, I may pick it up and read it someday because I love I'm a sucker for that, you know, doorstops uh, coming of age novel that, you know, it and Boy's Life shoehorns itself into. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm like, I got uh, one Dan Simmons book uh, based off of the show because I saw Adam Neville talk about the show called The Terror. Yeah. It looks really good. I'm into history big time. I describe myself as a history junkie and a horror nut, and that's both of them. So, <laughs> I mean, he's a dick, but Lovecraft seems like a fucking prick, and I love his stories, so. But he's dead. <laughs> he's not making. He's not making a cent off of me, so that's fine. It's well, a weird line to walk. It really is. Um, yeah. Uh, it's especially weird when you're a reviewer or a podcaster because when you see, uh, and I'm just speaking in genuine, gen, genuine terms, generalities. Uh, when you see certain authors or people that you like, and they're like dicks, you just if you're so close to something, you don't want to be a part of it. Like yeah. I can only imagine, for example, Harvey Weinstein. A lot of people were connected to him. You know, Kevin Smith was a guy that got his start with uh, Harvey Weinstein, and he felt he's like I would have never worked with him had I known. You just never, you never know. So let's move on to something lighter. Um, yeah, I would you, say, you know, I would just add piggyback on the on, on that there and i would say that we uh will never have hp lovecraft on this show not interested in that <laughs> uh so glenn your first episode posted april 13th of 2020 our first six because uh, we launched with six started uh that was may 27th 2020 um our shows are parallel in a few ways uh in the fact that we started pretty much a month apart and uh we've had a few crossovers of guests um in particular one that you and i were mentioned on that i specifically wanted to bring up uh when i first heard about you i've heard of your your show uh, does the dog die in this and uh you know, you hear about so many things and you're just like, oh, OK, that sounds cool. But nothing clicked until I heard you and me compared to each other on This Is Horror, which is fucking cool. Because like since the horror shows no longer, there's one horror podcast that reigns supreme in my eyes. And that's This Is Horror. And Josh Mallerman and Michael David Wilson were talking how you and I are pretty much in the same boat. You and I came out of 
uh, in their words, we came out of nowhere. Uh, we both have very fun shows, and uh, we both had Josh on. <laughs> so I guess this is my weird, long-winded way of saying, um, how'd your show start? How'd you? When did you know you wanted to do it? Um, what is? What are the steps you took to do it? And uh, this is a loaded question, so I'll, re- I'll reiterate any of it. And the last thing was Michael David Wilson specifically said to me, you are a hardware guy. You are very, you know, this is my words, prideful in the equipment you use. Um, sounds like you're meticulous to get a good product. So <laughs> take take all those long answers, any questions, any way you want. So easy, man. Um, well, I know I wanted to do it probably three or four weeks before it happened. Um it's something, you know, I always talked about, oh, one day I'll do a podcast, one day I'll do a podcast. And I'm very all in. I'm all or nothing with everything I do. And basically, the start of the year, this is kind of a two-part thing. The start of the year, I, uh, I decided I wanted to write a novel. I just, I've always loved reading and I've always imagined – it's part of the reason I wanted to talk to the authors too. Like I was like, I've always imagined what it would be like to just like hold something that you've written in your hand and not only that, then have people read it and love it. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to be a writer. So I'm going to go all in as I always do and just get obsessed with it. And it's just it's just what's going to happen. I'm going to have a novel soon. I'm going to have short stories. And it's just – it's going to work. And how's it going to work? Well, let me have a look. I looked at what everyone was doing, um, you know, author, how authors were trying to get out there and how you basically were, you know, 300 million people in a stadium all holding up signs trying to get people to look at your specific sign. And I was like, okay, that's a very, very hard task. That's, um, you know, I can see why that would be a struggle. And I was like, look, you know, how else – I have a, a background in business and finance and marketing. And I was like, you know, how else can I can I do this if I do want to have a product out there that one has to be great before it comes out. That's what that's you know that's well and good, but how how do you get people to read it and how do you get people to know who you are? And I you know I looked at Bookstagram for ages and I'm like this seems like a really cool way to build a platform. Everybody here seems amazing. The community seems awesome. I'm a huge huge book collector and horror nerd, so let's let's go that route. Like let's jump on and talk about books and slowly, you know, if I do start writing, bring the writing out through there and, you know, I connected with a lot of people and I got, I was well received very quick with my, obviously being Australian, but I took a different review of doing like, uh, I really utilized Instagram TV for my video reviews and being an Aussie that's a bit vulgar and whatever. Like I just, I was just myself and people kind of connected with that and, it kind of grew from there and I started talking to authors and stuff and I was like, it'd be really cool to, um, you know, do like talk to these authors properly and have a podcast and, and that kind of stuff. And it all, all just steamrolled from the bookstagram platform. And one day I was talking to Keelan Patrick Burke and he was reading a, he read a short story that I wrote for my mum when a, when her dog died and we just got chatting. And then I was like, Oh, um, I'm thinking about starting a podcast did you, what's the chances of getting you on there? And he had a good point. He's like, you know, no offense. He's like, I like, like, like talking to you. You're a good guy and all. He's like, I'm just a little bit burnt out on podcasts. Um, not there's anything wrong with them. They're amazing. They're really cool to be on, but it can get a bit, he's like, you can just get a bit burnt out on it. And I was like, yeah, no, that's, that makes total sense. Like, you know, if I was, and like you said, we have cross 
you know, we have a lot of crossover with guests and stuff, and we have similar tastes and similar questions, so you can see why. Anyway, anyway, I went and thought about it, and I went back to him a day later, and I was like, okay, what about if I paid you to write a short story, and you wrote a short story exclusively for my podcast listeners, and then you come on and have a chat, and after the episode airs, we release your short story, and, you know, we go from there. And obviously then it became business so that's that's what they do they're writers you know that's they write for a living so it, it changes the the mentality and then i started thinking like fuck what if i did this with all authors what if i did this this and this and then you know the bushfires were happening down here so i had this idea to then have a lot of the authors that come on i would commission them to write a short story they would write that short story i would have a blog where that short story would air after their episode and then at the end of every year we would compile all those short stories together and have like an anthology related to the podcast and do like a limited signed deluxe edition and would only sell, you know, a hundred of them each year or something. And then it just literally all just started to steamroll from there. And we decided to do the first one as a charity thing. It's funny, like this is when the fires were happening in Australia, that was kind of like the worst thing. Now that seems like it was forever ago and not even, yeah. the, even the grand scope of everything that's happened. But I started a GoFundMe to um, adopt koalas, and in the first two weeks, I think we raised nearly $3,000, and we adopted 15 or 16 koalas, and I adopted them in the author's names and sent out the authors, like the, the care packages that we got, um, and, and you know named the koalas after them and whatnot, and it kind of just all rolled from there, and now, basically, what you see is what you get with, with the show, and that's how it all kind of started. Uh, Brennan? Yes. Oh, you got nothing? No. Um, I, I thought I you should go that. first. <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew – I th- that's that's really interesting. I knew the uh, whole thing where you had them write stories and um, the kind of impetus, I guess, of the stories was that they had to involve a dog and it was up to the author whether the dog lives or dies. Um so, I mean, is that all kind of based on the story that Keelan read for you? Um, no, that was just coincidence. Like, I I just literally never written before. Long story short, my mum's dog died, but she was away. She couldn't be there. We had to be there. I all of a sudden got this urge to just sit down and write this story, and I wrote it, and it just was received really well. And it kind of just rolled from there. But I think whenever I pick up a horror novel or watch a horror movie, and as soon as there's a dog or something in it, I'm like, fuck. Like, is the dog a horse or cat or fucking turtle, gerbil, whatever the fuck this animal is, is it going to die on this? And is it, if it does, am I going to hate the author or am I going to hate the movie? So um, I was originally going to write a, sto- a short story called Does the Dog Die on This? No, it was going to be, sorry, it was going to be called The Dog Does Not Die on This. And it was going to be like, almost think like Planet of the Apes, but with dogs. Like, the whole world was going to die, but dogs were the only things that survived. And dogs just, like, ruled the world. And I just never did it. And then when it comes time to do the podcast... I was like, hmm, that's kind of a cool name for a podcast, like the dog does not die in this, because it seems to be a very thing in horror that people kind of like shit. Like, you know, I don't know if people have read The Troop, and I won't get into it, but there's shit in that where people are like, oh, my God, like the turtle, the cat. like, um, And I was the same. I was like, fuck this book, even though I really liked it. So I was talking to Aaron Dries, and he's like, it was, I was going to call the podcast The Dog Does Not Die in This, and that was going to be the story. There had to be a dog, and it couldn't die. Everybody else could die. 
then Aaron Dries was like, you know, it's probably a little bit more controversial, or opens up more conversation and stuff if it does the dog die in this. Then you can kind of explore like the humanity in horror and, you know, the boundaries that people will and won't cross. And it just opens up a broader conversation. So then it switched to that. And yeah, the, then the rules changed to you can have a dog and it can, I mean, you have to have a dog and it can live or die. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a main character or anything, but, you know, it's up to you whether you kill it. So then at the end of the year, we're going to kind of have team the dog dies and team the dog does not die. So it's just, just a bit of fun. Dries is a smart man. He is. He's hilarious as well. Yep. I think the if the if the horror community has like two qualities in common, it's empathy and the fact that we would all rather see the dog survive than the human main character. Big time. On yeah, that, absolutely. Real quick, Aaron and I have a really exciting announcement for next month. I can't say anything yet, but I thought I'd just drop that out here that um, you guys will have the first the first buzz of it, I suppose. But we are announcing something super exciting for next month's event. Uh, the Hellbound Halloween, so that'd be really, really cool. Um, just while we're talking about Aaron, I just thought I'd bring that up because I can't wait to um, drop that on everyone. Uh, you yeah, heard you, first here, a vague have exclusive. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a vague exclusive. <laughs> well, while you're bringing that up, uh, tell us a little bit more about the Hellbound Halloween because it looks like you have a ton of shit going on for that. Yeah, man. It's something I did last year. Again, I grew up in Australia and we're basically robbed of Halloween. We didn't have Halloween. Um, I did a video on this the other day talking about why I love the idea of Halloween and how Bookstagram has enabled me to experience that as an adult because the joy of being an adult is that you can do whatever the fuck you want within reason. And I want to celebrate Halloween, which I never got. So I told a story about how I was a kid and one year I decided I don't give a shit what anyone says. I'm going to have Halloween. Tough titties. It's going to be an Australian thing. And I got to dress up as a sheet. I didn't even get to go as a ghost. I had to go as a sheet because I wasn't allowed to cut eye holes in the sheet. <laughs> so basically I ran around my house blind as fuck for like half an hour knocking over shit before I before I got a smack of my ass and Halloween was over. And um, the year after I saved up all my money, all my pocket money, I was mowing lawns, picking up dog shit, doing whatever I could. And I brought like this cool devil outfit and I was like, I'm going trick-or-treating. It's going to be magical. And I made it as far as my next door neighbor's porch when he literally come out and told me to get the fuck off his front steps <laughs> and I gave up on Halloween again so I was like fuck it I'm gonna go buy my own candy fuck Halloween I hate it and ever since then Halloween lived in my head and when I joined Bookstagram I, I made friends with so many Americans and so many uh, international people that celebrated it so I was like fuck this I'm having Halloween I'm gonna ex- live through you guys we're gonna have Halloween together and I floated the idea of the Hellbound Halloween it wasn't as adventurous as this year. We read Dead Leaves by Killing Patrick Burke. We had a pumpkin carving competition. Uh, we dressed up and, you know, we had, you know, the best costume award and that kind of stuff. And there's about 40 people or so that joined. And the cool thing was at the start, I was like, I've never had Halloween. I don't know any of you guys. Everybody's welcome to join. And a lot of people joined that kind of floated around but didn't really interact or didn't know where to start and made these, like, really good friends. And, like, the feedback at the end was like, wow, like I was – kind of shy and nervous here and I've come into the group and everyone's welcomed me and like now I've made friends that I talk to all day every day and I was like well let's make this a, a yearly thing and it kind of grew from there and this year I knew that I wanted to go all out and obviously made a lot more connections through the podcast and through what I'm doing here so it enabled me to go bigger and better with that as well and um, so far we've got 110 people signed up to join so it's going to be um, 
going to be a really fun month. Where can people join and people that want to join that uh, want to see a text written out version, you can find it in the episode notes. But where can people join that? So there's going to be a, a Discord. So the one of the things last year, well, the problem was, is that we had to have like four different group chats because Instagram only allows 32 people per chat. So um, it's going to be on Discord. And I was going to put a video up on how like people can join the Discord and everything. But long story short, for people that don't know, it's we're doing a um, Halloween season and scary stories to tell in the dark read-along where we have a big group chat for that. There's going to be a signed Stephen King giveaway. I can't say what book it is yet, but it's going to be really, really cool. We're doing a trick-or-treat international snack exchange where we kind of team up for those that want to get involved. We team up you know, in pairs and send each other our favorite snacks to get there in time for Halloween. Oh, I call Laurel. I want those barbecue <laughs> chips again. <laughs> uh, there's pumpkin carving costume competition, so there's parties for that. We do an online horror movie party where we watch, we'll watch something cool. Um, there's exclusive short stories from Andrew Cole, and we're going to get some live readings from Alan Baxter, Jonathan Jans, Aaron Dries. I'm actually going to release my first official horror short story too, which is going to be exclusive short story for Ooh. this event as well, which will be my first actual writing thing released into the horror world. So that's going to be super cool. And the idea was that um, slowly, you know, starting next year, I've got a bigger idea to each year I'm going to write a collection of short stories and release that for the Hellbound Halloween as, you know, a part of the read along. And that's, it's only done yearly for that. So we'll have the Hellbound Halloween one, two, three, four kind of thing. And I'll just write a collection of short stories every year and get other authors involved as well. And we'll have like, you know, we'll release our own reading for the month, which will be really fun. That's a really cool idea, man. Yeah. When you, when you said there's going to be a story, an exclusive story by Andy Cull, and you left it at that, I really thought you were going to gloss over the uh, exclusive story by Glenn Parker. Now, I'll understand if you say no, but is there anything you can tell us about that story? Is it all under wraps? About Andrews? No, about yours. Oh, um, yeah, man. It's, it's, it's something that I've thought about for a while that I really wanted to do. It's, it's, uh, it's called All Hallows Grieve. Um, obviously, there's that grief tra- aspect to it straight away in the name. Um, but without going too far into it, it's about a young kid who hates Halloween because he's born on Halloween and nobody ever comes to his birthday party <laughs> and wants to go trick-or-treating. So, um, you know, it's, it kind of opens with the line, like, not only was it cruel enough that Timothy Greaves was born on Halloween, it would also come to pass that he would die on Halloween. And... It's about this kid who goes to his school to petition to change the date of Halloween because his town, he lives in this like magical town. Think Neil Gaiman style. He lives in this magical town. It's the the town that winter called home is basically what it's called. And Halloween's their huge thing. And he goes to school with this letter that he's been working on for ages to try and change the celebrations a week forward because he's getting old now and he wants to have one good birthday party. Halloween's going to be there forever. His childhood isn't. So he wants to... um make a change so he goes and proposes this letter that he's been working on and as you can imagine it doesn't go over too well and the kids decide they want to want to get back at him for trying to change or ruin halloween but none of them knew just how far that would go to make sure that halloween is saved that's about all i'll say on that. glenn uh i hear a lot of authors complain about writing back cover copy but honestly it sounds like you could uh that could be your niche <laughs> 
<laughs> so is that's that sh- opening line. Um, is that a paraphrase or is that the exact opening line? Um, I think it's, I mean, I'll look at it right now. If you got two seconds. Or I mean, is it like super close? It's pretty close. Yeah. It's basically paraphrase. Yeah. So is that's that, a sh- like, that that's a really cool opening line. Is that something, is that like, I just hearing it, I imagine that that was the first thing that basically came like maybe even before the title. Is that the way you operate or did you just kind of work to craft a really cool opening line? No, that just came. Like I, I knew that he, that was his, the thing, like there was basically a line that come up with right at the very start when I first thought of the story this line coming to my head that again it was a paraphrasing but it was something like monsters are a product of humanity we've created something worse than ourselves just so we can live with the things we do and the whole idea was that like humans do such terrible things to each other in the pursuit of what they want so like our blind pursuit of the things we want and need will make us you know abandon other people or hurt other people and the whole idea is that like we came up with monsters just so we could sleep at night because, you know, vampires, werewolves, there's things worse than us out there. So what I did wasn't even that terrible. So that's where it kind of started was the idea that, like, monsters are a product of humanity. Like, we created that. So it was kind of the idea that these kids and this town, like, especially being kids, they're a lot more inclined to put their wants and needs in front of someone else. So it was like, how far would we go to just make sure that things don't change in a small town and we get to keep, you know, keep doing what we want to do. So it's kind of like that's where it all stemmed from, I suppose. And when I sat down to write that line about, um, you know, he was born on Halloween, that was, yeah, that was the first thing that came because I'm a hardcore pantser. I fly by the seat, seat of my pants. So I just sat down and I was like, all right, what am I actually going to write about? And then I just started typing and that's what came. So is that, you said that's a short story? Yeah, it's probably a novelette, I suppose. It's going to be around ten to 15,000 words. I'm just trying to think, how the hell do you fit that in 7,500 words? Because I think that's a cutoff for short stories. That sounds like such a great story. I want to read it. And uh, Greaves, is that for, like, ironic reasons that his last name is Greaves? Well... Yeah, I think without being spoilers, his name, if you put the title together, his name was originally supposed to be Timmy Hallows. And when I wrote, when I, sorry, when I started writing, I accidentally wrote Timmy Greaves. And I'm like, well, that sounds kind of cool. But the title was All Hallows Grieve because obviously you know that the kid dies on Halloween. I tell you that straight away. So it was kind of be like All Hallows Grieve, like his family and everyone, everyone related to him is going to grieve over this. So it was just like a play on words. I was just kind of like a, I listened to a lot of hip hop. So I guess it was like a, a word play thing on, you know, like he's a hello. So when he dies, his whole entire family is going to feel it. Interesting. Um, I, I have a question back to your podcast. Do you, are you breaking it down into seasons? Are you just going straight through? Do you have a setup in mind? Or are you just kind of pants in it? Man, I'm a hardcore winger. Like everything is just. I knew I was going to talk to Josh a day before I spoke to him, and the whole idea, my whole thing for the show is that it's completely organic, freestyle conversation. I don't write questions. I don't write it. Like before I sit down to talk to them, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I don't even think about it. So it's just all on the fly. That's kind of how I do things. I don't know whether it works or not, but so. 
the whole I don't I have no idea about seasons or anything. It's basically just going to be here's the podcast. We talked about whatever the fuck came up. Uh, fair enough. How'd you uh, get in touch with Josh initially? Um, how did I get in touch with Josh? I uh, <laughs> I have a really good friend on Instagram who's one of the first um, people I made friends with. Her name's Leanne. Her username's Grumple Stiltskin. Um, we I decided I decided I was going to do the podcast. I spoke to Aaron. Uh, Keelan Petroberg, all those guys, and you know they were like, "Oh, cool! I can do it this month, this month, that month." So I was like, "Awesome! These are all like the the lineups." And then she sent me an email one day with this giant list of authors that she contacted for me and told them the pitch of the podcast and said, "You know, hey Josh, my friend's on a podcast. This is what he wants to do. This is a short story idea. Blah 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 blah. Would you be interested in having a chat?" And there was like, you know, a yes from Josh, a yes from this person, yes from that person. And I was like this huge list, which is basically everyone that I've spoken to. And um, I was like blown away because I didn't even think – like she just did it and was like, hey, here's a list. So <laughs> I met Josh on Twitter and I was like, hey, Josh, my friend so-and-so said you're interested in having a chat. Like, you know, are you still up for that? When do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, totally, man. Like, call me now. And I like called him. <laughs> and I'd like never <laughs> spoken to anyone before. And I called Josh and I was like, hey, man, what's up? And we just like started chatting. And we clicked, man, and he was like, fuck. He's like, we've got to stop talking. He's like, we need to do this tomorrow. We need to record it. He's like, because we just, we we're both getting really excited talking about shit. We spoke for like 20 minutes or something just on the phone. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. We need to, we need to save this for tomorrow. So we um, jumped off the phone. And then, yeah, the next day I set everything up, um, called him on Skype, and the rest is history. I love talking to him, man. He's just, uh, he's just one of the most laid back, coolest guys that I think we've talked to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Glenn, a lot of your episodes, you opt to split them in half um, with you just kind of deciding shit on the fly. What was the deciding factor on you kind of operating that way? Well, I figured nobody like you see three hours, three and a half hours. You're like, oh, fuck, I'm not listening to that. <laughs> like, so I feel like, you know, it's it's almost like putting listeners on a diet. If I break in half, it's like, Oh, it's not that bad. I can eat this and then eat that next week. So it's kind of like, you know, if you see the small portions of it, it's easier to digest. So an hour when you're commuting, you know, or half an hour in the morning while you're in the walk and half an hour when you're driving home from work, whatever. But three hours just seemed like, you know, like your hand, this is not an insult to newer readers, but hand like a newer reader that started reading horror in the last couple of years that hasn't read any of the classics something the size of it or the stand after they're so used to reading, you know, 200, 300 page horror novels, they're going to be like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, this is daunting. And they might absolutely love it, but they're just like, whoa. So, you know, I feel like if you, if you break it down, it just seems it's, you know, it's, it's not as bad. Like, cause I'm, I'm the same. If I saw a three and a half hour episode, I didn't care who I was listening to. I'd be like, holy shit. When am I ever going to sit still for three and a half hours? I was close to breaking down the, one of the first six episodes, Jim McLeod, we talked for two hours. He's the first episode ever, first guest I recorded an episode with. But then I just said to myself, eh, fuck it. If someone wants to listen to us, they will. <laughs> yeah, our, editor doesn't, our editor doesn't split episodes. <laughs> Too lazy. Well, if, if we talked to someone for over three hours, I would. Okay, fair. Yeah, well, Josh and I got to the point where, man, I was literally about to piss my pants because I was too afraid to say I had to go to the toilet because this is my first ever podcast. I didn't know the protocols, and I'm talking to Josh Malaman, of all people, 
and I'm sitting here like trying to fucking tie my dick in a knot so I don't piss my pants. <laughs> like I'm like, and then Josh comes back in after having a smoke, I think. Oh, he's doing something. And he's like, holy fuck, man. He's like, we've been talking for three and a half hours. And then it was just kind of like, it was a segue into like, all right, cool. Let's get out of here. Like this has been awesome, but fucking we're going to be here all night otherwise. And man, key, sorry, go. The, yeah. the key with Josh going to the bathroom was you got to write down to the time. <laughs> Josh yes. pees at 1025 uh, <laughs> Eastern Standard Time, which I would that. be, <laughs> I think that would be around noon your time. Because I, I totally learned that because like it was three and a half hour episode. And I'm like, shit, I know we had breaks somewhere. I'm like, fuck, now I've got to sit here and listen to three and a half hours of this conversation to try and find the two minutes where I'm like, all right, man, I've got to go piss. So um, I definitely I've got a notepad with me all the time now. And I'm like, all right, cut this time or that time. And that was like that was a very valuable lesson. When I was recording an episode with Armand Rosamelia, uh, I drank coffee. It really doesn't matter what time. Like we're talking now. I finished my coffee like a half an hour ago. It's almost ten at night or in the morning. But when me and Armand were talking, um, in my head the whole time, I'm like, all right, we're reaching an hour ten. I'm about to piss my fucking pants. So that was before we recorded video, and I just said, eh. I'll piss in this cup that I got, and I'll wash it real good Because <laughs> I didn't want to miss anything, and I didn't want to be like, hey, Armand, do you talk a lot like Kevin Smith? Can you just <laughs> pause there? Like, you, you're not going to interrupt the guy's flow. Definitely so, not, man. So yeah. I had to create my own flow simultaneously as he had his flow. Did I was piss- wondering if you were trying to turn that into a pun. <laughs> I wasn't, then you laughed, and I was like, hey, that could be funny. So did you piss in it? Yeah, man. Yeah. See, I don't know if you listen to the Malaman, no, the Aaron Dries podcast after the Josh Malaman episode actually talk I, about. I did. You guys, that's where I first heard it. Yeah, I tried to get the flowers out of the vase. There's a vase on the desk, and like, I didn't realize the flowers were glued down to it. And I was like sitting there for like, which I'm glad again, not on video, because I'm sitting there for like five minutes trying to pull these flowers yeah. out. Because I was yeah. like, I needed to go so bad, and I was talking, to, I was so overwhelmed with everything that was happening. I was like, I didn't think that they were glued in. So I was like, what the fuck? When these flowers come out? And it was just a whole, a whole disaster, man. So at least I'm glad you got to do it. I didn't tell my wife because I'm pretty sure that, like anyone else listening, will say, you're a fucking gross human. No, man. Got to be done. Got to be done. We've all done worse than that. I mean, it's, it, the, the alternative is in your pants in the chair. You know, if you, you just run that coffee cup through the dishwasher a couple extra times and you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, so I guess. As far as your show goes, I had another question was, what are your expectations for them? And uh, has the podcast changed anything for you? Has it opened doors? You kind of answered that, but fuck it. I'll just ask it again. Has it? I think definitely, man. Like I, as I think you were saying, Michael David Wilson said to you, is that I'm like a stickler for like details or like, you know, I take pride in that kind of stuff. Like I knew that I had to have an amazing logo um, I don't know if people listening have seen the logo, but I'm, I'm quite fond of the logo for the podcast. Who made it? Sorry? Who made it? Uh, one of my good friends, Gus, who also did the Hellbound Halloween poster. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, he, he's doing a lot of my book covers and interior art and stuff as well. Um, Plug him. What, what's his uh, handle? Uh, he, no, nah, he's not. He's, he's not too keen on it. He, he likes to just do it on his own, like in his own time and, when he wants so he the one of the things was that he didn't want me to to go out and be like hey this is a guy that did it everyone talk to him um, <laughs> so he's a really cool humble dude so um yeah but so 
that and the intro as well. Like, I'm like, I need to have a good intro. I need to have everything. Um, so in terms of expectations of it, I just want to keep growing. Um, I want to dethrone Michael David Wilson on This Is Horror. Let's I want do to it together. The- Gauntlet is thrown down. No, yes, let's listen to this too. sometimes. No, let's uh, do it together. Let's do it together. You, you, me, and Brennan. Let's fucking let's dethrone him and Bob. <laughs> he knows that I'm coming for him. Um, in a good <laughs> way though. Like we 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 get along really well. We have a lot of banter. Um, we chat a lot outside of it all, and he's been a really really big help. Um, and it, it, was, it was not that friendly. Sorry. He's not that friendly. No, but I think that's why we get along because we're both just <laughs> insulting each other 24/7. So um, but no, he's a, he's a really good dude, and yes. I think. In terms of, um, well, I mean, had I not started the podcast, I would never have gotten positive feedback from Laird Barron about my writing. Like he read the, I don't, I, I don't want to go too much into like this part because you know it was obviously personal. But after the after Laird and I ended our conversation on air, we spoke for another forty five minutes to an hour and actually got pretty pretty deep on some things, and we kind of. Oh. Um, yeah, it was really, really cool. We we shared a – yeah, I, I won't go into it. But anyway, it, it led to me talking about the story that I wrote for my mum because it was similar to what we're talking about. Anyway, he's like wanted to read it. Um, so I, I shot it over to him and he come back a couple of days later and told me that I did a, a mighty fine job and that uh, that it's there that I um, I should write. So, like, I mean, that would have never happened if it wasn't for the, for the podcast. And, like, Laird's probably – he'd be up there in my ultimate, like, you know, favorite readers, uh, favorite writers, and like a guest that I really, really wanted on the podcast. Like I hold Laird very highly up. Same with everyone that I've spoken to. But you know, to get that feedback from someone, to have access to that, um, was yeah, that's de- it. Definitely opened up that aspect. Not that I think it would, you know, like it's nothing will come from it. But it's just that that advice and that feedback. Definitely, I would have never received without you know going all in. Yeah, well, that's definitely that's meaningful feedback, and he doesn't yeah. strike me as the type of person who's who's gonna say it empty. You know, if 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 that if that needs work, he's gonna tell you it needs work. But if he tells you you got it, that's I take that to the bank. Well, that was the conversation too. He's like, you know, yeah. I will. He, you know, he said that he's one of those people that will say, look, like he again, it's it's hard to say because we he talked about some stuff that you know, whatever I can't repeat and I won't repeat, but. He said that he is one of those people that like, look, you know, it's it's kind of there, but you need to do this, 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 and this. And like, don't get me wrong, he didn't come back saying I'm the greatest writer ever. He just said like, you know, you've done a mighty fine job. Like, this is this is good. Um, and it was just it was just really there wasn't like a oh, you know, it wasn't bad. But you got to do this, this, or this. It was just like you know, this was this was really cool. Like, keep keep going. So like that, you know, it's that'd be akin to Malamon or Tremblay or someone reading it and being like, dude, this is fucking awesome. Like. You know, it's, it's one thing to have your friends and family read it, and as you guys who who write both know that you know they're just like, yeah, wow, this is the best thing I've ever read. But um, to have people you respect read it and say, yep, dude, this is fucking cool. Well, then you know that's that's invaluable things that I've gotten from the podcast. So it's cool to be able to you know put those conversations out there, but at the same time also talk to authors that I respect and and get feedback from them about like, you know, my own work and, and what I'm doing. So, and it's also opened up the doors with what Aaron and I are doing next month. So yeah, it's, I feel like I wanted to be up there, you know, with this is horror in terms of quality and that kind of stuff. That's what I'm aiming for. And then I also wanted to 
make my own contacts. So I make no, there's no secret that it's, you know, it's a good way to network and, you know, it's only going to help when I come out later as well. So I feel like all of it together, it's just been a really positive experience. So that's another exclusive on the show that uh, Glenn Parker wants to dethrone Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella. That's it. He knows it too. I um, I don't know if I can though. He's a bit. Of, I reckon he's a bit of a cyborg or something. Like, have you guys ever watched him on video? I give him shit for this all the time, but I reckon he blinks like once per hour. <laughs> so, I don't even know if Michael David Wilson is real. Has anyone ever met Michael David Wilson? <laughs> I've seen pictures. So I know he's in Japan. Air they could be photoshopped. Exactly, it could be CGI. There is like those deep fakes and stuff. Like, I'm putting that out there too. Like, Michael, are you even real? Well. I mean, like, do you think that he's Bob because they're both bald? <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's like some Scooby-Doo shit. Imagine if, if you are going to go for the king, though. I mean, you got to we, – we all know that Laurel Hightower is going to take down Bob Pastorella at some point. There's some sort of prize fight scheduled. Yeah. So you just got to team up with her, and then at least you only have to deal with one of them. Plus, you'll get bourbon after. It's true. Well, she does constantly carry a supply of bourbon. I'll save that guy. I'll save that for you guys. I've never been drunk in my life, so bourbon is not going to work for me. Oh wait, let's talk about that. Have you ever drank in your life? Uh, I've tried. I've had like I've tried a sip of beer and some other stuff. I've probably collectively over thirty-two years maybe had one full drink. Hmm. So straight edge, as much as I don't like the term, but don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. Never have. Don't know if I ever will because, well, you know, you never know, especially the way this year is going. But so far, I um, if you made it to September, Glenn, I think I mean, I, I hate to doom us by what could possibly come in October. But <laughs> if you've made it this far, I think you're good. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty good. unless 2020 this, this is just like a warm up to 2021. Then, you know, who knows? Well, I you know, what's funny is as far as podcasting goes, um, basically, I. My wife, I was like, this is really all I want for Christmas is the hardware, research it, this is the mic, boom, stand, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's all the hardware I want. And it wasn't too much, you know, it was, it was affordable. And uh, when I got it, she's like, well, it's a good thing I bought the microphone now because they're all sold out. Like everything's sold out that you wanted. And she got in time. And uh, she goes, um, so this was before the pandemic came out. Uh, wait, no, I'm sorry. She didn't get it for Christmas. She got a little bit after around the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, she just basically said, I think it's connected. I think there's a lot of new podcasts coming out. <laughs> did, uh, did, did you have, cause like in the horror community, I've noticed that there's been quite a few too, like in the last two years as well, there's kind of a boom coming out and I like it. Maybe I'm just new and I, it's always been this way, but there's a lot of choices, for, be it film, books, other things, just in horror. Do you happen to have any that you are a particular fan of? Um, with podcasts, like I, again, like I said about splitting episodes up, I, I don't have a great deal of time, like with what I do in my personal life for work and everything. Um, so I want to listen to a lot, but the main ones I find myself listening to is um, Last Podcast on the Left. I know that's not really – I mean, it's horror-related in a sense, but like that was my first ever podcast. I I got an iPhone and I was – I do like powerlifting. I was a competitive powerlifter, and you spend a lot of time at competitions and stuff, like downtime, kind of like 
waiting around for like different lifts and whatnot. So I started getting into podcast and yeah. So last podcast on the left, uh, in Christ, this is horror. They're probably up until recently, like my staples. Um, and now I'm starting to add like, obviously until yeah, the, what two or three weeks ago, I, you know, we weren't acquainted with each other. So you guys are in the rotation now as well. Hey. That's kind of where it sits for me. Like, cause Otherwise, it just gets too, you know, you you feel bad because you haven't listened to this one, but you listen to this. So I, I'm pretty, like, narrow with my podcast, um, and I know there is a lot out there. And it's the same as books, really. At the end of the day, you have to choose the books that you like. Like, there's how long they'll to be read, do you know what I mean? So it's like, is podcast going to get the same? So I'll listen to everything, like, here and there, but they're my main, my main staples. If I've got an hour spare, it'll be one of those. I'm right there with you with the podcast, To Be Read, pal. Um I got so many that I just I, I barely listen to most of them now. I asked for uh, recommendations on Twitter, and boy, that was a good and bad idea. Good because there's a lot of interesting ones. Bad because it's just it's too many. Yes, and this and is th- how we catapult. Oh, sorry, Gun, go ahead. Oh, quickly, I was just gonna say I think like audio production is a big thing for me. Like the the sound and the presentation and stuff. And I feel like, yes, it is a flooded market, but I don't feel like everyone necessarily takes it as serious as the ones that I enjoy listening to do. And that's not a slight on them because obviously not everyone has the budget or the time. And some people just want to get together and record on their phone with their friends and have fun. Mm-hmm. But I find myself less inclined to enjoy those because I just like really well-presented audio. Like I just love, like I, it's hard when I first started with my episode with Josh, like that was a quick thing I learned. Like I did it through Bluetooth into Skype, through my phone, into my mixer and it came back pretty like muddy and it, it drives me nuts. Like I'll send Michael David Wilson snippets of podcasts. I'm like, Oh man, should I just delete this whole episode? Does it sound like shit? He's like, no, dude, it's completely fine. I'm like, you sure? Should I, should I call the author back and like, be like, Hey, we're going to do another one. So like, that's me. So like if it's there, I seem to, I find like those guys have the most well presented show with the audio and stuff like they take it that little bit more serious so i think that may be a draw for me um so yeah like the market is definitely saturated and it's an awesome thing that it's horror thriving and so popular and that was that's what i mean when i named those few it wasn't to knock on anyone else it's just they're the ones that i find myself drawn to the most i suppose yeah it's fair catapulting brennan Oh, I was just going to make a bad joke about how we are going to catapult ourselves to the top by talking about on our podcast how there are too many podcasts. <laughs> That's how you do it. You point out the fact that you're, you know, expendable. That's it. Well, I mean, it's the same with writing. Like, there's just we're, – we're honored. I mean, not honored. We're blessed to have so much choice. And that's the thing, like – one thing that I learned early on with business and it stuck with me forever is that there is always room. It doesn't matter what anyone says. Like you see on a lot of, a lot of self-defeating posts on Twitter and Instagram and like the horror writing groups, like there's a certain type of author that's like, Oh, I'm not going to bother trying to market this because there's so many of the competition sucks. Like I'll never get anywhere. There's too many people. Like I see that quite often. Obviously there's the other ones too that just go all out for it. But I feel like the one thing I learned very early on is that like there is always room. Like there's nine billion plus people in the world. Like there is a market for everything. It doesn't matter if there's five million of you doing it. Like if you do it right and do it like work at it, there's 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 no reason why you can't find a home with what you do. 
Yeah, especially right. if uh, Laird Barron is willing to blurb your book. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so um, speaking of, um, Glenn, I want to hear a little bit about your uh, – God, it's going to sound cheesy, but about your writing journey. Because I kind of – I don't know why, but I kind of assumed it was a newer thing, but it kind of sounds like it's something that's been going on for quite some time. Um, It's been about 10, 12 months, close to a year, I suppose. Um, so, I mean, it's new in the sense that I'm 32, so it's like, what, 1% of my life or something. Um, yeah, so basically, long story short, I loved, like, you know, the love I got from it, I couldn't imagine, like, being the type of person that sits there and writes something that will give another reader or another child that same experience in life. Like, I wanted to give back what I got from it. So the first novel i guess i just sat down and decided i want to write this novel i actually had this dream i'm i'm sure it happens to a lot of authors like that's where most of my ideas come from like i have crazy dreams and i decide all right this is going to be be a story and i just had this dream one night about these two brothers that dig something up in their secret they've got this secret kind of like play spot where they go they all sneak in there and it's like their own personal little playground and they dig something up there and, and what they dig up could potentially change the world and it comes down to like the the test of brotherhood and loyalty when you know things get divided between what they find being able to affect one of the others you know it comes down to choice between would you kill your brother to save the world or would you watch the world end to save your brother and it kind of just started spiraling out and i decided i was going to write it and it ended up being like a a love letter to the coming of age genre like it was influenced but you know there's there's definitely like stand by me vibes there's goonies vibes there's it vibes like it's um you know i just started writing just started coming 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 i just kept going with it and then you know eventually there was a hundred and something plus thousand words written and there was a first draft and yeah it just kind of spiraled from there and i just decided that that's that's what i wanted to do so there's no rhyme or reason really i just I love reading, so I'm like, why not give back to that, I suppose? I like that. I like that idea of not, you know, <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of people that we would talk to or you would talk to that would say, yeah, I, uh, started, I started typing up a book because I wanted to get rich and famous. Um, that's not why we do it. But the idea to give back and also the idea to try and create something that could potentially be as affecting – to a new reader or even you know an experienced an old reader as uh some of your favorite books have been to you something that could reach in and touch somebody that's that's really cool um and you know i've heard people say that coming of age is kind of overdone right now but i think that there's so much room in that whether you call it a subgenre, a trope, or anything like that, it's not like vampires. It's not like werewolves. It's it's almost like horror itself, where you can kind of take that genre and you can mix it with just about anything. You know, it doesn't. When you write coming of age, there's just so few concrete things that you have to do. There's so much room for you know everybody to play on that playground and do different and unique and interesting things. Um, and I, I would, I would love to read that story when you, uh, get it out there. 
I um I didn't do that blurb justice as I did the first time around. <laughs> uh, as I was talking about, I was like, shit, how do I actually say what this is about? Um, and I failed miserably at that. It's it's definitely better than I just made it sound. But I learned early on too that to you know write what you want to read, and you know even if the market is overdone or saturated, like that's that's fine. Like I'm writing this because it's something that I would want to read. Like this is literally my love letter to the genre. Um, you know, this is what I want to put out there. And obviously there's a million other other stories that I, I want to write. But this was just, you know, it, again, even if it is overdone, it's what I want to hold in my hand. Like I wrote this. This is like if I'm writing this for anyone, it's like I said, it's me. It's, it's for me. It's for to pay homage to the things that, you know, shaped me growing up. Yeah. Isn't that, and Pat, go ahead. Isn't that how it should be? I mean, that's how I view it. I heard Sid Haig in an interview years ago saying, um, he's like, I do this for me first and then the fans. And I always said to myself after I heard that, yeah, that makes sense. Like, why the hell would you do this for anyone else but yourself? Yeah, and that's basically – I have a really strange writing technique too in the sense that – I mean, it's not a technique, but uh, talking on my process, like I – there's three people that read – probably what I write every day as in like, say if I write two chapters, I'm like, all right, what do you think of this? Like they'll read it. And like, they're not, they're not friends. I mean, they've become friends, but it's not like friends or family. They're, one's an editor. One's a fairly well-known reviewer. And one of them's just a really, really heavy reader of the genre. And I actually write, like they read the entire novel, read the entire novel as I wrote it. Um, oh, daily. Wow. And, and the same with this short story, the Halloween story. Like I was that like they wait for the updates every day and like love reading it and they'll talk about this character and that character and it's um it's a really cool way for me because like I'm getting to like see their reaction and like have fun with it and like play around with ideas and um it's something that I that's so fun like we've bonded over that and like literally like you know we we've laughed and cried and like to have them come back and be like man I had to like go like sit down for like five minutes and like cry after reading like, you know, this chapter or that chapter, or this made me laugh so much. Like when I was at work, I thought about it and it made me laugh like, cause Dustin did this and it was so cool. Like, so I've, it's been a really cool experience for me too, to like, I kind of, it's weird to get, like I get that um, gratification or validation from like having them read it and like they enjoy it too. So like, it's probably a very weird way to write, but there's yeah a handful of people that like literally read it daily as i write it and it just seems to be like a cool little little group that we've got going on so that was something else that i've got out of this that you know like you said you write it for yourself Mm -hmm. and these other people that enjoy it as much as i do it's just a really fun thing so yes like it's definitely me first um you know before i worry about the other stuff yeah and that's not to confuse when i say that it's not to confuse you don't write books for people or audience like there's plenty of authors or actors that say or filmmakers that are like we did this for the fans but i i feel like at least when you start out it should be for you um otherwise why are you gonna stick around but hey, that's just my thoughts people can have different opinions on it uh glenn what are you reading right now i'm currently reading uh, what have i just started i'm rereading mongrels by stephen graham jones i am reading halloween season by lucy a snyder which is, Ooh, can we talk about that real quick? Because uh, oh, Brennan, Brennan showed me that cover, and uh, wow, that's Halloween. <laughs> I have not picked that one up yet, but I'm hoping to get to it pretty soon. 
Yeah, man, I love it. Like, I'm not. I'll be the first to say I'm not a huge fan of short story collections. It's just I, I started on it, so I was like, I'm drawn to doorstoppers. I love you know. If, if I see a book that's like a thousand pages, I'm like, fuck yeah, like let's let's read it. If I see one that's two hundred pages, I'm like, eh, what can happen in two hundred pages? Obviously, a lot. My mind, my <laughs> mindset has changed on that. Um, but Lucy's collection, Halloween season. It, that's one of the story. That's one of the books we're reading for the Hellbound Halloween. It's Man, I read it in like one night. Like it was some of the most fun and amazing short stories, and the prose in it is just amazing. Like everything about it is so cool, and it just gives you that like real Halloween vibe. And a lot of it is like kids trick or treating and that kind of stuff. So like, I man, if it's not out yet, but I would definitely put that on everyone's October to be read list. Like if I could suggest a book right now, it would. Mm. Hands, if I suggest a couple of books right now, be Crossroads by Laurel Hightower, mm-hmm. um, Halloween Season by Lucy A. Snyder, and one that I always suggest to everyone is Remains by Andy Cole. That's yeah. another one. Right? Sure, yeah. Report. I think that uh, Andy Cole's Remains, I told Laurel this, and she, I, I think she agreed, but, or liked the idea. She probably just laughed, putting words in her mouth. But uh, <laughs> Andy Cole's Remains, Laurel Hightower's Crossroads. I think that they're brother and sisters. They're those two creepy twins from The Shining holding hands. Uh, they are just so similar, not in story-wise, but tone-wise. Um, they're both so powerful, and they're so short. Yeah. I I always thought of Remains. I think I read that oh, a little over a year ago. I always thought of that as the best book that I'll never read again. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so powerful. And I just I feel like I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It ripped my heart out, and I don't think I could go through it again. <laughs> All I'm gonna say is, being a father, thinking of certain things in that that book, putting myself in the shoes of the mom. Uh, I'm not gonna say what I do because it, I don't want to ruin or insinuate anything, but it makes you think. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, hopefully, hearing you guys like that. I hope that you like what I'm writing then because that's the kind of threads that I'm trying to weave there. Like that's the impact that I'm going for similar in that vein um, to that type of that type of horror. That's kind of where, I, where I'm trying to land really. I'm really excited to read that, Glenn. I, I, I am definitely looking forward to that and not just saying that because we have you on the line and we feel obligated. No, that sounds really cool, man. I'm looking forward to that. Whereas yeah. me, I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm only kidding. I I would like to read that, and I think uh, it's fair to say we want to read it and then get you on to talk about it sometime. Absolutely. Definitely, I, man. I find yeah. it funny that you said you're not into short stories, but you want to put together an anthology of short stories yearly. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. It's um, in terms of the podcast and the hellbound halloween thing like that's it's it's seasonal like you know i enjoy when i say i don't enjoy short stories like i like them i just don't necessarily with anthologies when i first started reading you know you might get so into a story and it's like you know 30 pages or whatever and then it stops and then jumps into the next one and the feel and the vibe is completely different and it kind of like breaks the immersion a little bit because like you know you just settled into something you love and then it's a polarizing shift to something else 
that's you know different a different author different prose like i just always found myself wishing that you know this story was expanded on a little bit more or whatnot so i've come to enjoy them uh, a lot more and obviously when it comes to like you know putting together the anthology it's again like i'm reading those short stories and i'm involved in it getting them off the authors like um when their episode airs and that kind of stuff like there's a it's different when you know you're hands-on with it as well um and i guess it's tailored to stuff that i like you know with having the dog in it and that kind of thing so it's it's a bit more relatable and, and personable with me but yeah it's just i don't know do you guys ever experience that like you read a short story same like you know by andrew cole like bones there's the i don't know if you guys have read that but the short story about a kid who whose dad owns like a funeral house, like a funeral parlor. And basically all this kind of creepy stuff happens in there. And it was like really, really cool. And I was like, wow, this like this story is just amazing. And then the next one was completely different. And then again, I found myself wanting to go back to the feel of that last story. So I don't know whether other people experience that or not. It could just be me, but yeah, that's where I stand with it. I have mixed feelings on collections and I can't bring myself to read like more than one story. I'll, I'll hear people, and you said you did it with Halloween season, who sit down and read a collection or anthology like in over the course of one or two days. And I feel like I have to just do one story a day. Um, and you know, maybe it has something to do with that world immersion that I want to kind of experience that story and then just let it sit for a while. Um, but you know, I thought it was interesting when you expanded on why it is that you you know, don't appreciate, don't love uh, short fiction as much as you do longer form stuff. Um, that actually really answers that question for why you would want to kind of put together an anthology or whatever um, really nicely. Cause it's, you have that ability to curate and almost make sure that there's a theme that kind of pervades the whole thing and, you know, runs in a linear fashion throughout um, basically kind of, make your best attempt to nip that problem. Um, or at least, you know, one, one of the main reasons that you would prefer uh, longer form stuff to short form stuff and collections, nip that in the bud. Yeah, definitely. And I think Halloween season was one that I could read in a row because it was all, you knew every story was about Halloween. So, you know, if it's something like bones where it's, it's tackles like grief and different monsters and it has the ability, they were all amazing too, but you just had a really good point about reading them one a day, which would have been 10 times better. Um, so when you know, like every story is based on Halloween, it's, you know, you, you, it's got that vibe that you want at that moment with what I'm reading. So I think I'm, I'm more educated on the, the sense of it now. Like I used to think, you know, what could you achieve in a, a short story? And I've, I've definitely um, been shown what you can achieve with all these amazing authors out there. So I'm more around to it now. It's just not the first thing I would pick up if I had a choice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say the only problem with reading that one a day is if I have to get something done by a certain date or if I'm, you know, reading something uh, by a person we're going to talk to, I have to start it like two months before to, <laughs> to plan that out. Brenny, what are you reading right now? Um, I just wrapped up The Halloween Store by Ronald Kelly, uh, which is either out now or about to come out probably within the next few days i know that was a september release um and i'm about to finish up he also is putting out the essential six stuff uh which is uh, the 29th 
Yeah, it's the 29th. I'm trying to think how many stories are in there, but it's just kind of over the top. Um, some of it is 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 gross out stories, but, you know, it's it's definitely sick stuff. The title <laughs> tells you what you're going to get. Um, and I am also reading um, The Body Will Follow by Rob E. Boley. So I'm I guess I'm on a silver shamrock kick right now and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> that <laughs> looks kick. really good. Yeah, it's a good kick to be on. Pat, how about you? I'm just reading the Essential Six stuff because that's a big fucking book. It is a big book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many stories there were in it, but it was definitely – I'm pretty sure it was around 20 or north of that. Yeah. Um, Where can people follow you, Glenn? Um, Instagram's probably my main hangout, which is the hellbound underscore heart. I am on Twitter as well. I'm just trying to figure Twitter out. I'm brand new to it, and um, it's very confusing. But I am on there um, as, I think it's just Glenn Parker 88 and then does the dog underscore die for the show. That's that's pretty much it. I'm not on – I mean, I am on Facebook, but who, who uses Facebook? <laughs> Fair enough. Nobody uses Facebook. Fuck Facebook. <laughs> and the podcast you can find everywhere that um, – Good podcast stream, I suppose. So your Spotify, your Google Podcasts, your um, Apple, I don't know, everywhere. Basically everywhere I can get it, it is. So it's on most platforms. And if it's not, shoot me a message and I'll, I'll get it on there. So I think I covered most bases with it. And that's just does the dog die in this. That's the, the podcast name there. We appreciate your time, man, as always. And for anyone listening to this, you can still enter. You will have one week as uh, – when this airs, you will have uh, one week and two days, actually, to enter at deadheadreviews.com for our short story, uh, the ad. If you want to hear it again to get all the details, just go back to the beginning of this episode. Thank you, Glenn, for joining us. Brennan, thank you for being my co-host as always. And listeners, appreciate you taking your time, day, morning, or night, to listen to us and bring us wherever you were going. Have a good day, everyone. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving. Deadhead space. Well, does um, it sound alright on your end with me? Yep. You have a bit of an accent. Yeah. For <laughs> <laughs> that one. We are allowed to swear, though, right? Well. If you listen to our fucking show, Glenn, you'd know that plenty of well, people curse on I was it. like, maybe somebody complained, because like, when I first started doing... Yeah, well, that was more to do with my Instagram videos, but like, there's a, like, a big <laughs> running dare that I couldn't do one without swearing, so I had to do a whole video review without swearing, and it was very interesting. 